Okay, welcome back to the Concert Honesty Podcast. This is episode number 155 with my guests, Dr. Larry Snyder, who's been on the podcast before. Uh, he's my percussion instructor from the University of Akron. And my friend Jason Truding from So Percussion <clears throat> joining me as well. Uh, Jason has been there several times as a guest uh, composer and performer. And I wanted to speak with Larry about his history at the University of Akron, but in particular how it intersects with the steel band world. And um, uh, given all the conversations in the public right now uh, in the world that are happening, I felt it was important to sort of have this aspect in the room. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Uh, I certainly did. Talk to you soon. Take it easy. Bye. <laughs> so it's cool. Great, great cool. to see you. Well, um, let me, uh, let's gavel this to, to order here. Um, Dr. Larry Snyder, I appreciate you doing this. Um, for SOCI, we've been sort of, um, you know, we spoke, uh, Jason and I did a thing with John Beck the other day, um, and Eric and I are doing one with Bob tomorrow, and Adam and I did one with Rosen, Michael Rosen, two weeks ago. And um, it's been really fun to sort of just have two of us in the room talking with our sort of main teachers and give us a little bit of the context and history behind what you were experiencing as a teacher, you know, developing your program and, and, and talking specifically about each of your sort of approaches to teaching and what you've done for the percussion world now, you know, 30, 40 years later. Um, and I asked Jason to be here because I felt like I didn't want to, I'm biased of course, because I, um, I went there and would take a bullet for that department. But Jason also has interfaced with the University of Akron in, in ways that other members in the group haven't as a guest artist, as a comp, you know, composer of which you were playing his music, inter interfacing with the students. So I felt like he might be a sort of interesting extra voice in this conversation to maybe ask some things that um, maybe seem obvious to me but aren't. Um, so maybe I'll just start with, um, you know, Larry, you, I was a student of yours starting in 2000, uh, the, in, in the year 2000 through 2004 when I graduated and, um, then went to Yale and you have my, my high school percussion teacher, Joan Wenzel, you taught her, um, and you introduced me to Cliff Alexis and you came to my high school when I was in steel band and, and talked to us about steel drums and you introduced us to Cliff cause Cliff was there. Um, so anyway, to me, that's sort of like if I were to squint at the University of Akron and be like, what is the one thing I want to I would write on the wall and say, this is what you did. I would say the development of the steel drums as an educational instrument within the university setting. You were not the only voice by any means, but I feel like that was something you really dove headfirst into um, in the university setting. And I'm so I'm curious just with that prompt. um, can you talk a little bit about from the beginnings of you wanting to, to teach at a university and sort of how you thought about that stuff moving forward? Well, yeah, uh, very briefly, just to go way, 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 way back uh, when I was in high school, uh, I, I come from a blue collar family. My father didn't have a high school diploma. My mother was a waitress and they basically forced me to go to college <laughs> because uh, I just wanted to stay in Kewanee, Illinois, and, and play drum corps and drum set. And I, you know, I think, and that was my little little thing, you know, to do. And I could be very happy with that. Well, I, you know, you, when you're that age, you don't really know what happiness is and what you can do and all that because it's comfortable there. Um, so I, I went to college, got a music education degree at the Illinois State University and got a master's from uh, North Texas, which I enjoyed there, and a doctorate from uh, uh, University of Illinois. Um, I think one of the things that really helped me out is my patience way, way back because my, I, I taught public school for uh, a junior high band, actually, for four years. This is prior to getting your doctorate? Or your uh -huh. master. This was prior to getting your doctorate or your master's. This is prior to getting a doctorate. Yes. Um, now this was uh, this was basically uh, after a bachelor's degree. Mm. Not even North Texas yet. Mm. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, and um, one of the things that I think that really uh, really affected me in terms of clear through teaching uh, at, at university is it, I, I don't want to use the word patience, but I taught in a in a very blue collar community, uh, Bradley, Illinois, uh, which is very close to Chicago. So I had a lot of uh, people like m my parents, blue collar, 
and I, I got to be able to uh, be passionate about just teaching, period. People sometimes that don't want to learn anything. And I had a junior high band. And after four years, uh, I said, I, I need to move out. I need to move because I'm missing music more than I'm. I, I felt myself doing really a good job of teaching. And what that, what that gave me, um, I think, clear back then, despite the big time schools of North Texas and, and the University of Illinois, what it gave me was uh, patience. Um, and family, family being, I've, I learned that just giving a lesson and having the student leave and feeling good about how I fix that student's grip has a lot to do with it. But the fact is that I wanted students to know that I was truly interested in them not the paycheck, not the grade. I could care less about, really, about, of course, I, you like the paycheck. But, but the, the major deal being the fact that um, through the years, uh, and it's not like I tried to, but I, I kept the family pro process so that all the way through my teaching to the University of Akron and beyond, uh, I've got a family still. Mm -hmm. I got my family, family with blood, blood family. Uh, and I still have uh, students that I, I, 162 of them, quite frankly, I can tell you exactly. Uh, yeah. uh, and that get a cowbell because that's their, that's their, uh, that's their thing. Yeah, there it is. There's, there's one. He hasn't used it yet. He probably hasn't practiced it. He has I don't know. How to, I don't even know what it is. I, now I'm glad I know it's a cowbell. Now I'm glad you let the cat out of the bed. And, and that that put them in, in in this family thing. And so when they graduate, and I did it because I I said I don't want to lose these people when they graduate. The worst part of my worst part of of my career is watching my students graduate and go away from me. I hate maze because I lose some people. So I've said, I can't do this. I've got to keep on with this. And as a result of it, uh, maybe call it my own ego, but I like to see students, what they've done, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and how they develop their own program. And it's nice because they come back to me and, I, and, and ask me, guess what? I, I had my first baby. Or, oh, my God, I got the gig. Uh, I, I remember Daniel Kaminsky calling me. Daniel was a grad student. Um, and uh, he, he called me and said, hey, you know, all the way from Warsaw, Poland, and says, oh, I got the timpani gig with a, with a Warsaw Phil. And then I get somebody like uh, that's a, a music therapist, uh, several band directors, all that. But they all communicate with each other in terms of, the cowbell mm -hmm. and the fact that we're actually all family and it's, it really feels good. So the lesson is an important part, of course, show up for your lesson. You don't do it. I'm going to kick your ass. Okay, fine. But, but the bottom line is also that we all work together for that student that maybe can't cut it, that we pull somebody along. Well, let me, is that, yeah, is that too much. No, not at all. Uh, it's a great place to start. Um, and it, and it's, it's, it's good for me to hear you sort of articulate your mission statement as a teacher. I've heard you say that very thing in, in various ways over the last 20 years since I met you. Um, but it's interesting to hear you sort of distill it to this sort of family thing. And I think it is something it's, it's not, it's not a different sense. I mean, Yale was a family, but just a very small, small one, <laughs> you know, uh, Eastman was a family too, just a different type of family. And so was Oberlin. And, um, but I'm curious for you, can you talk a little bit about like, I mean, you told a story about your day one at the university of Akron and you had, you, you got hired and you were, you, they asked you like, what do you want to buy? And you gave them a list and you walked in and, and I don't know if I'm remembering the story, right? So if it's not as sexy as I remember, Forgive me, but but can you just? I mean, I think there's a lot of people out, uh, students who are like, I want to teach at a college, and I'm curious, you know, teaching at a college now for your first day is different than it was when you started. But 
I don't think it's unimportant for people to know what it was like for you. Because I think they look at you and they think, oh, Larry's this finished museum piece of a teacher. He's, he's, he's never evolved past this point that he's at now. He was like this at day one. And that's just objectively false. And I'm curious if you can talk about your, your very first day at the University of Akron and how you started building this idea of a family from day one. Yeah, one of the things that I said when I interviewed at the, at the gig, I was actually the first percussion teacher full time at the University of Akron ever. Okay, so uh, I took this gig. And the reason why I took this gig is I was teaching at Idaho State University. I did that for a couple of years. One of my alums, Rick Caraz, was teach there, taught there afterwards. But anyway, so I, I, I wanted to. Uh, the only reason why I took that gig is because I like to ski. <laughs> Idaho was going to show me some skiing. You just know just to, as a side yeah. note, I'm really talking with you about this. Yeah. Skiing is very high up on the Jason's priority list in terms of yeah, yeah. gigs we get for when he talks to our management. We haven't played in Ohio in the wintertime yet. Or, sorry, Idaho in the wintertime yet. I don't know what's going on. So, um, so what I did was uh, after a couple of years, I said I need to move on. Okay, so because so, I was a marching band director, percussion teacher there, and I, I wanted to get back because I was lacking in my aesthetic of playing, playing music. And as a, as a result of that, I got this job at the University of Akron, and, I, and it was it was quite an interesting thing in a sense that I said I walked in it, it, to my audition, and I said, okay, they got a snare drum, they got a beat up marimba. They got a pair of cymbals. Okay, that makes a percussion department. I said, here's a list of stuff I have to have. And I listed some instruments. Oh, no problem. Frank Bradshaw was great, great, uh, kind of a liar, but he was a great guy. I got along with him. So, so I, <laughs> He's I, great. I, I mean, a complete liar, I, I, but he was a liar. Family and, and got out of here, got out of there. And, uh, uh, and, and went to, so I get on the campus at the University of Akron. And I find out that uh, they didn't order any of that stuff. They were telling me, is the stuff there? Is Oh, it's, it's going to be here very soon. They ordered nothing. So I had to start there. Well, as a result of that, um, I also remembered something very, very important in my career is when uh, uh, when I was at the university. I had some hours towards my doctorate before I went to the University of Akron. But I remember something very important is that uh, after hours at Smith Music Hall at the University of Akron, you know, everybody's doing excerpts and working on the cage and working on this. And I was part of that thing. And I was always, I seen the intensity. One night I stayed later. Uh, Stuart Saunders Smith was actually there that night. I can remember this. Uh, and I saw some of my colleagues who were percussion majors there smiling smiling when every day is this intense i got to get this for my lesson i'm not playing porking and best good enough and i i missed the third construction i'm not playing my all of a sudden late at night one of the guys had brought in a steel drum and they were all looking at this like this is a an animal that should not exist what the hell is that but they were smiling. They were like hitting it. It was rusty and stuff. And I saw that smile. What year was this, Larry? Oh, don't ask me crap like that. I don't know what year. <laughs> was this 1903 or? Uh... 1900, yeah. <laughs> this was right before yeah, World War I started. Me, what year was that? Hell, I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, so, in fact, uh, I won't even mention names of who one of those students is, but a very famous uh, percussion uh, colleague of mine. Oh, come that, on. No, no, no. <laughs> Greg Zuber. All right. <laughs> uh, anyway, they were, they were doing some stuff. And um, as I got to the University of Akron, in the back of my mind, I said, Jesus, I want them to play. I want them to be, but I want them to be passionate about playing and, and experimental and, and try to find interesting things to do. It's out of the box. So I went to the president uh, of, the, of the United States. No, thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, president, <laughs> president of the university. And I said, uh, I want to start a steel drum band. And the president said to me, what the hell is that? He says, you mean tin cans that you hit? I said, well, 
yeah, I guess mildly you could say that. He says, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. He says, that would be an embarrassment to our university. To have, and I said to him, because I'm ready to leave anyway, I have no instruments. Hell, I'll play in Cleveland and, and make a living playing gigs in Cleveland, get some part-time students, so I don't care. I said, well, President Gazetta, Gazetta Hall, President Gazetta, I said, I heard that you play a gut bucket, an Appalachian gut bucket. He says, yes, and sing songs when you play. He says, yes. I said, what's the difference? Gut bucket, give me some pants. He looked at me. He said, if you, I'm going to give you the money for this. If you embarrass me, embarrass this university by playing trash cans at, a, at an event, you're fired. I said, great, I'm out of here. <laughs> so he did it. Three weeks later, we had pans. We had like, like Bob Benora. We had, you know, some of those guys and that were going, what the hell am I getting into? We got these pans just to jump ahead a little bit. Uh, got Cliff Alexis to get me the pans. And that, that's a whole four or five hour. Just, but I'm not going to say that. So what happened is, is the president called me and he said, boy, this is terrible. He says, there's a luncheon, our jazz ensemble that was going to play for this luncheon, this university big shot luncheon stuff, governor there, everybody. They canceled. We have a, we have to get a music organization there to play for that, or that's going to make me, him, the president, look very bad. He says, pull it off or you're fired. That, that seemed to be a real go-to for him. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, if you yeah. got one there, oh, it's like if you, if yeah, you only yeah. have a hammer, so, everything's a nail. So I got, a, I got a bunch of students together. We had a little practice room, by the way. We only had one practice room. It took us 30 minutes to set up the drums to play practice for 10 minutes. So what I did was I got Bob Benora, uh, who, who's uh, – uh, very important percussionist, as well as some other people. He, became, Jack Butcher. he was Wayne Newton's drummer in Vegas. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got them together, and we said, okay, guys, we got this gig tomorrow. What are we going to play? We got to play something, background music? No, 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 just a, just a feature piece. We played Yellowbird, most horrible thing, and Sloop John B. It was like some avant-garde thing we rehearsed we rehearsed like almost all night to get a few notes right okay next day i think i'm thinking hell i might as well just get packed right now we move the pans over and uh it was two pieces of the most horrible sounding crap i've ever heard in my life i'm i'm out of here i'm looking at okay where am i going to live next at the end of the second piece there was a standing ovation what? We looked at each other. These people don't have any ears. <laughs> this is going to be easy. <laughs> Everybody shaking the president hand. Oh, my God, the first steel band in all of Ohio of a university, blah, blah, blah. And he comes over and everybody's congratulating him. Not me. Not me. The, like the president played the game. And president yeah, he says, I, I had the initiation to want to really start a steel band. I'm saying, you liar. <laughs> I'm, I'm mentally, you liar. So he takes this, this spoon off of a table. He says, and one of the guys said, well, well how's this work? I seen something on a cruise ship or something. I says, he takes his spoon, he said, and he says, uh, the president takes his spoon. He says, yeah, he says, yeah. He says, yeah, yeah, they're all p- different pitches and just hit them. So he starts pounding a spoon on one of the notes. Not like lightly. He's like whacking. And everybody going, wow, that's cool. That is so cool. Hit a bunch of, I'm going, oh, God, no. Oh, God. Because Cliff has just given us the instruments, you know, not given them. We paid for it. Yeah. That was the start of the religious part of that. And what I learned mostly about all of that is the d- steel band that developed into our African ensemble that also developed mm-hmm. into uh, a samba ensemble, which is all those are influences, as you guys can tell me more than I can, 
you guys can tell me how influence how influential those kind of musical sounds in percussion have advanced to contemporary music and how you are influenced in that situation. One, one thing. Um, and so everybody's required to do those. And we get guys like Michael Spiro come in, come up, come in and say, spend three or four days on Samba and say, you know what people had to give up to play that stupid instrument. Yeah. And, and that's how it's developed. I mean, I, and Jason, just for the record, feel, this is we're friends here, so chime in and raise your hand. I'm just enjoying listening. And I'm going to be a fly on the wall. Interrupt for a while. all you want here, but um, one thing, Larry, that I, I do, I just want to highlight that it's something that I've heard from different people several times, mentors of mine who are uh, in positions where, like, you're in a meeting and you've got to get consensus, you've got to get everybody to sort of agree on something, and the best way. I've heard several, Paul Lansky, I think, was the first person to really articulate it to me, is like the best way to get your ideas across is to convince somebody else it was theirs. And like if, 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 you, can, if you can somehow let the room figure out a way that your idea becomes theirs, then that's the best way to push your sort of agenda forward without being aggressive, without pissing people off. It's hard. It's really tricky. But it feels to me like you, in that moment, what you're saying about your interactions with the president is like you could have at that moment when he said – what are you talking about? Stomped out of the room. You stayed patient. Patience is something you, you mentioned in the beginning. And then when it, when he said it was his idea, you let him say that. And that's like, because what that does is it sort of buys you a little bit of freedom to do the, to, to have the next ask. And I, this, that's something I think, I mean, Jason, I'm not totally crazy here and thinking that's, that's part of your mindset when you're talking to people about projects that we're trying to convince them. Like if a, if a presenter or whoever it is feels like, it's their idea to bring us. That's way better than you trying to make them feel guilty for not, you know, like, like, totally, like yeah, yeah. that's a, one of the things, one of the things, one of the first four words that works the best, even if you're talking to a freshman that's trying to hold his sticks correctly, as well as a president, as well as a Dean, these four words, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All of a sudden, I got you, baby. Yeah. I the, got you. Well, it's accountability, and I think I mean one one thing that I feel like I came to mind when you were talking about making it be there. You're somebody making it there, make them feel like it's their idea is, and I want to back up a little bit here and bring it to when you met Cliff, and I feel like Cliff is also someone who taught me that that like sometimes you have to do something on someone else's terms. Like you don't ever get to just have a completely unilateral decision making process on hardly anything in life. Cliff was somebody who I could tell his intent was like, this is going to be worth it for you, but I'm not doing it on your terms. And, and that was an important lesson for me just as a student to learn. Um, but for you as a teacher early on in your career, I, you called him several times and he just hung up the phone on you and you kept yeah, calling him back. And I'm just kind of curious if you can talk about that a little bit, um, the sort of how you got a steel drum at the University of Akron to begin with. Well, Al O'Connor was a close friend of Cliff's at Northern Illinois University. That was the, the first probably uh, steel band that was uh, you could get a credit for in a college. So uh, Al O'Connor was a close friend of Tom Siwes, who's a friend, who's a student. Uh, I was a student of Tom's, and um, they both said, call Cliff. And the uh, first time I called Cliff, and Cliff said, uh, after I uh, after I talked to him about steel drums, he looked at me or over the phone. He says, oh, he says, you're just another white guy that wants to have some 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 fantasy element that everybody's going to like. But you don't even get it. You don't even get the history, the things that I went through. Cliff Alexis as a kid. See this slash on my head. That's because a cop beat me in the head. Because I played steel drum. Click. That happened about two or three times. I call him back. Click. Click. I said, third, third or fourth time. I don't even remember. It said, said, we, I said, Cliff, I'm going to keep calling you until you, say, until you talk to me. It's the way it is. I said, obviously, you don't like me. And right now, I really don't like you. <laughs> Which I think for people who don't know Cliff... Like that was probably oddly the the re, like saying that to him in that moment was like what bought you the entrance card into his life like like he is somebody 
who once you know him long enough, the minute you're like, hey, well, like what it, I it's, said it oddly that, cracks through to him, not to everybody, I but will, for him, that was that I, I imagine was very important. I told him, I'm, I swear to you, I swear to you, every one of the students that walk into my my system is going to know what you had to go through Mm -hmm. as a person and as a Trinidadian. And I think Jason can pretty much see now the the Trinidadian thing down there being because you've been there. You can understand the pride and, and the camaraderie and the fellowship that goes on there. And that's what he really wanted to, to hear. I swear to you, well, Cliff Alexis turned out to be not because of what he did or what he built. He turned out to be my best friend ever. A black man? Really? Yes. Because I only knew of one African-American-based person in high school and grade school. Mm -hmm. Not even identified. I love that man. I still to this day love that man. And that's what he did for me. But I, I had to put up my dukes with him a little bit on mentally about it. Well, and this is something, I mean, historically, I mean, knowing that Cliff was of the generation that came out of like genuine oppression post, you know, during World War II, post-World War II. Um, it is, do you, and I'm asking out of ignorance here because I genuinely don't know. Do you know, like, it's odd to me that Cliff landed in St. Paul, Minnesota first. Like that was like, <laughs> of all the places in the country, not Brooklyn, not Chicago, yeah, we, like, like St. Paul. So he just landed in the middle of a cornfield and then they, went to DeKalb, another cornfield. And I'm curious, can, do you know why he went to St. Paul first? Because they had a steel band and he went there and built some drums. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which it, are the drums that Joan Wenzel purchased eventually for yeah. Dover. I do have one one story to to say to tell you. Many years ago, uh, they wanted to have uh, in Trinidad, and I think you'll appreciate this. They had a. Uh, this will bring tears to my eyes. It does every single time, and so I apologize ahead of ahead of time. No news. Um, they wanted to develop learning how to read music on steel band. So they they Cliff got them to bring me down to meet the the the, uh, the, the higher ups of Tr- Trinidad, including the president and the and all these people in this building. Okay, so uh, we're getting ready and uh, to go to this meeting and and try to promote the learning how to v- read music. And I was the white guy. I was the only white guy. Me and other people who were uh, you know uh, administrators in in Trinidad. And we're walking down the street, and we're walking down the street, and everybody's, you know, high five. Hey, what's up, man? You know, we're doing the whole thing, friends, friends, friends. We got close to the president's home. President's home. Got close to the president's home, and we started walking up to walking about hundred fifty yards, fifty yards into the entrance, and uh, things are quiet. And so, okay, we're going into seriousness. And I turned around, and all the rest of the guys, guys, just guys, were falling way behind. So we started out like this. There's Snyder. There's them. I said, what's up with you guys? He says, he said, Dr. Snyder? says, you don't get it. He said, when we were kids, we were not allowed to even be on this street, let alone walk up. I said, okay. I said, I'm not going. You walk ahead of me. I will walk. Excuse me. This always touches me. I will walk behind you. No, 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 go ahead. No, go. I said, okay, I ain't going. I'm not going there. I clear down here to talk about education, and you can't do this for me. And you can't do this for your country. And you can't do this for the president. I'm not doing it. After all you want to. They finally did it. They walked ahead. I walked behind. As we, we were being met by the president, I was the last one to say hello. And that's the way it was there. And man, that got me a whole bunch of brownie points. 
because they never thought of they couldn't walk down the street because they were well these are these are conversations right now that I mean I'm seeing I mean the whole world is having reflection moments like this and and we've all we all have those moments to one degree or another and you know you've told that story many times Cliff you know, I remember Cliff taking me to a black barber shop and making me sit in the corner and watch him get his hair cut for two hours, you know. And, you know, I don't know if it was a conscious choice on Cliff's part to do that sort of stuff. But um, I don't know. I just think it's important that students hear these things. And it, it, that sort of thinking about those things for me at the University of Akron has always it's always seemed like a given to me, like just because it's been what my status quo was. Um, but I. I I, I also feel like, you know, I don't want to move away from Cliff because he's a huge figure at, at the University of Akron, but I, I do want to sort of move a little bit in that, like, your teaching style in particular has not, has always been one of, like, you never put me in front of Cliff and were like, here's everything you need to know about Cliff. You tell me, you just sort of, like, put me in the room with Cliff and then pulled the door shut and left. <laughs> and, like, I had to sort of fend for myself. But you also did that with Michael Spiro. You did it with, you know, Gustavo Aguilar or Bob Van Sice or you name it. Whoever it was that was coming through, I always feel like you were like, hey, Ben Toth, Ben, ben Toth, Toth that slept underneath the marimba all night. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm curious. Go get him a hamburger. Like you, you, um, you are somebody that I feel like has always been aware of your own, and, and please take this as a compliment. You've been aware of your own weaknesses as a like where where your level of experience lies, and whenever you sort of run up against where you are, where you're running low on experience, you're like, well, now time to check this person out, and you're always pushing people in front of us, and. Um, I just, I'm curious if that's something that you consciously, like you made a decision to be like, I'm doing this now. Like I made a decision at NYU to consciously not play old panoramas and play ones from Brooklyn. I did that 10 years ago and it felt weird to have to do, say something like that out loud. But I'm curious for you, is there like, was there a moment where you made a decision as a teacher or was it just an organic sort of process that grew? I think it was more organic uh, organic. one of the things that I've always done is is that's uh, that that's unconscious is I want all my students to uh, experience a lot of different kinds of things, and and that's very important because a lot of my students can't come in and I got the same thing coming in. I got some very good students coming in as freshmen this coming this coming year, but you know what? The only thing they know, the only thing they know. It's a marching band, concert band, and a little bit of jazz band. That's it. Same with Jason. I do. (laughs) (laughs) I march, I jazz. (laughs) But but see, that's the whole thing. And and what I want to see is, okay, students, you're here to learn. You're going to have to bite into this just like everybody else. Be curious. That's the secret. And I'm sure, Jason... You had that, uh, that that whole thing is is be curious and you will succeed. If you come in, and I had one student, I had one student uh, audition this year, very good student, uh, come freshman. All I want to do, I don't really care about anything else. I just want to play in an orchestra. A lot of people would say that, but I do feel bad that, do you want to eat the same food every day? <laughs> Don't you want to just a little bit of experience with something else? No, I don't. I don't. I want to play. I want to be the best porky and best player you ever heard. Okay. Well, Josh is the best porky and best player that you've ever heard. I don't double so. my stickings. I don't alternate it. I only play the whole. I only play the whole thing with one hand. That's right. Well, I, like I was when when Josh asked like how conscious a decision that was to to bring in other other players like, and you kind of pivoted to the the idea that it was um, like how conscious was it to try to develop folks' curiosity? Because I like I feel like I, I went to Eastman, which doesn't have a steel band. It had a gamelan there. And my relationship with Gamelon is very different than Josh's with Steel Band in terms of like, I, I would, I'm not a, a, a master or very experienced at all with, with that other than I played it in a bunch of years. I learned that music was made in very different ways in different parts of the world. It isn't made in one way. Um, and I, I spent a summer in, in Bali that really like hit that home. But I feel like what that 
does is help that curiosity and say, oh, like whether you're going to be a professional, you know, steel pan player or not, mm-hmm. you're kind of around it to be like, you know, and, and whenever I go to your studio, like you can, you can feel a vibe about a studio really quickly. And it's always a very kind of like open and curious space. So it feels like we've almost touched on kind of why, but was that a conscious decision? Like when you started teaching in Idaho, had you already figured that out or did that oh, kind of... Yeah, you know, I, I figured it out. Yeah, I, I figured out that that's, that was a, a necessary thing. The consciousness, it, it, one of the things that I always do is I don't bring uh, someone who has a big time reputation and, and lets everybody know that that person is the coolest thing ever to walk the face of the earth. I never That's do that. You, ha- you haven't invited Adam yet. It's been most, I'm sure. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> or Eric, for that matter. Or Eric, I should. Equal opportunity jabbing. Equal opportunity jabbing. But what I try to do is expand anybody. Uh, I find out who's a passionate teacher as well as a player. So not just a teacher, not just a player. I don't want to have, and I'm not mentioning any names here now, but I don't want to have someone who walks in and say, basically mentally saying, oh, I just want to show you how cool I am. Well, you, you, Larry, there's one, there's one moment. I bring it up a lot in, in response to Jason's question here. Like, um, the, Michael Spiro came and gave, there was one, I mean, Michael, he came many times over my time at Akron, but there was one masterclass he gave on sort of the history of, um, I think the song clave from Cuba. And like, it was a very, like, this is where this rhythm comes from. And it was like a three hour class. The blackboard was filled with like the history of Castro and like all this stuff that I like at the time I was like, I don't even know who that is. Like, whatever. Um, like, where's my girlfriend and I need a beer, you know, like that's 19 year old Josh. Um, but then there was that, but I felt like it was important. I just didn't know why. And then, then we were in a coaching, uh, with an Afro, the Afro-Cuban ensemble and Spiral was coaching and sitting in with us. And I was in charge of playing the clave. And I, there was a part where um, I just wasn't paying attention and I got messed up and I turned the clave around and Spyro, without stopping the band, walked up and snatched the claves out of my hand and just like two inches from my face in front of everybody was like, no, sit over there. In the same way that Cliff was like sitting in that chair in the barbershop, I was like, well, this is, I have, I've done this before. So I went in the corner, sat in the chair and Spyro was like, you are not leaving this room. You are not crossing the clave again today. I'm going to make sure of it. And and so yeah, I did. And he wants you to succeed. Yeah. That's why. But it, it was very strange. Like it, it was so uh, objectively speaking, it was absolutely aggressive. Objectively speaking, it absolutely terrified me. But he was able to do it in such a like he preceded it with this such a clear pillow of intent that I could I was nothing but cushioned by his like aggressiveness so I could learn from it. And I feel like as a teacher, that's something that with Spyro or with Cliff, I feel like, and with you is super important. Um, and it's something that like, I don't know, like when you're talking about teaching, can you tell me a little bit about some mistakes you've made? Like Spyro, I think is good at that moment with students. He's done it a million times and that's why it worked so well with me. I've tried that a few times to varying degrees of success as like a, a 30 to 40 year old person. And I'm curious for you, can you talk a little bit about your journey as a teacher, like mistakes you've made and walking, driving home late at night on a 30 minute drive and being like, Oh shit, I should not have said that thing to that student today. And I have to untangle uh, it now think, for the next I, two I, weeks. I think, um, one of the things that over the time that subconsciously that I've developed is the fact that, um, I, 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 sh- when I walk into a situation and I've learned this from Cliff, from Spyro, from whoever down the line, but um, the student needs to know right away that you want them to succeed. You, they didn't come here to this situation just to get a paycheck. It's so easy to say, oh, you'll get it. You'll get it someday. Practice this next week. I'll be out of town, so and I, I'll have my check from the University of Akron. No student feels like that because I don't. I will not allow them to that kind of a person to be here. I had uh, a vibraphone artist come in, and one of the biggest mistakes I had, and I'm not mentioning any names at all, uh, to, to come Eric Chubbich. Huh? It was Eric. Sorry, we threw He's Adam under the bus, the and now we thought we'd slide Eric <laughs> under there too. <laughs> no, no. No, so so basically, I think the confidence factor. I 
I want a seasoned person that comes in to say, to basically mentally say, I will not leave the University of Akron until you have this down. It's about you, not me. Hmm. Let me tell you. So that's that's kind of what I've learned over a period of time. But I also will say to you that last time Spyro was here in April, which blew my mind and Matt Dudak's, is he, Michael Spyro walked in the room and immediately tuned the drums differently. He had to have that. I have to have that sound. He had the kids, the students, without anybody complaining, he had them standing playing samba for six hours. And afterwards said, this is what like this is what it's like in Brazil. Well, Jason, when they do the parade. Jason, I mean, this is something like I remember Michael saying that to me and then, um, you know, and then going to Trinidad for the first time and being like, oh, my God, there's no like I think it was the year, Larry, I think I played Alexander Nevsky with you in the, at the in the Akron Symphony. And there's like uh, that was my first experience with like a union gig where like oh, we're going to rehearse for one hour and 21 minutes and then we're taking a water break for nine minutes and everything's on this this schedule. And then I go to Trinidad and Jason can sort of empathize here where you're like. Oh my God, we're going to rehearse for seven hours and no one's taking a, no one's breaking. What's going on? And like you do that the first night and then you come back the second night and you do it again. And it's like, what? You know? And, and, and that happened exactly after six hours, the students didn't go, God, I got to get out of here. I I need a beer. I got to go home. I got, I got to floss the cat. I got to, you know, I got to do something else. They all stood there and Spyro was the one to say, okay, that's enough for today. After six hours of him standing, did he sit? Did he make excuses? Did he do any of that? No. So the the people that I have been to do this is not a quick fix. Here's your money. Out the door. Boom, boom, boom. Jason walks in the door. And you could – I think Jason will admit that – I sit down. First thing I do is I sit down. (laughs) Tune the drums. Jason tunes the drums. You you are searching always, always, always for excellence. It wasn't just exactly right. So we're going to do it this way. You didn't scream and yell and say, hey, are you stupid? You said, okay, let's try this. Let's let's try that. What do you – and he uses – Jason uses this. I've heard him say, what do you guys think? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you want me to make a decision. You are a mus- musician, right? Jason, I, I, I should have, what I should have done, and I don't know whether you are conscious, Jason, of this, but I should have written down every time you say, what do you think? Because mm-hmm. I would have a list. And, and that input of being a creative musician was fabulous because you said, what do you think? I have a quick, I have a quick question. I I have a thought. Yeah. yeah, I have a question for Jason on this point because I'm, I'm, you know, when I, one of the reasons I asked you to to join me here, Jay, is because the, the other big picture thing I think of that I think relates to what you're saying, Larry, is I think of university of Akron, like I gigged a ton. Like I was like outside of the normal percussion studies, there was like, there was an ecosystem in Akron where playing gigs, playing bat mitzvahs, you know, backyard parties, all of these things. I was, I was working a lot in school and Jason, Jason, and I don't think, I don't know if it was a conscious effort on JB's part, but you were working a lot in school too, in, in different, like dispensas, the band you talked about. And I'm curious, like how much of your willingness, Jay, to say, what do you think comes from the sort of initial, like you were in a band that was just playing all the time. So you never had to be locked into one result. So you could try, you'd be like, what do you want to try tonight? You know? And now yeah. you're in a, you're a composer working in a group with so like, at least with the three of us that you have, you can try things out 15 different ways because we're going to play it 15 different times in a month or whatever. And I'm just curious for you, is that, what has that been like? Does any of that relate to your, your time at Eastman where you're just getting a ton of at bats? Yeah. I haven't thought about it like that, but I, I, I think you're probably right. I mean, at, at Eastman, the way, and this may be a bit different than Akron, but maybe uh, maybe similar because maybe you were doing more, you know, pan gigs than you were, you know, solo marimba gigs. I don't know. You know, I, I was like, like orchestra gigs from time to time, but mostly pan stuff, for, at least for me. Yeah, like I, I like in the 
classical side, I wasn't gigging a lot. I mean, I, I wasn't. Um, some people made sub lists and stuff, and I was never that guy. Um, but on the drum set, I was gigging all the time, and there were there were like multiple multiple bands. There was that, that band Dispenza, but the one that was a little more gig like we just had weeklies you know like a, another band third optic played every saturday night at a club and dispenza played every friday night at a coffee shop and then there was the like um there was a kind of on on the campus there was a frat party scene which i like would never go to the party unless if i played in the band then cool you know and it felt like i do josh you talk about at bat so much and for me i think that was on the drum set that was the way but i i also feel like you know i didn't be think of myself as a composer till way after I graduated, but I was always making music with people that we were all making decisions. Mm. So like Larry, when you say like, what do you think? I mean, it, it felt like I was never in a group where, where playing drum set where somebody was just always telling me what to play, you know, it was all these like kind of, kind of group decisions. So, um, I mean, I feel like mostly percussionists when you ask like, what do you think people have thoughts, but I'm just always surprised when you come across students, um, that, you know, just want the black and white answer, you know, cause I feel like one of the fun things about being a percussionist, let alone a musician is like having a thought about what you're doing, you know? Um, but to, to pivot back to Akron, I feel like that everybody does have a thought in a great way. You know, I mean, wh- one thing that, that struck me, I have to say was last time I went, I went with Jihei, right. We came together mm-hmm. um, and Jihei played with your, with your group. And then um, I think was, did Dudak help get it together? Did he lead it? I forget who was leading it up or maybe a grad student led up a big version of thank you. Um, the snare drum solo with, with yeah. a ton of people, you know, like, uh, you know, no, 10 Dudak or 12 did people. Not. Dudak no. did not. It was like, you guys get together and do this. Yeah, yeah, Matt, Matt can't read music. To just, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. It was like, here's the okay, guys, here you go. See you later. Yeah. Well, what I thought, but it was awesome. You made this great twist on it, which also just feel, there's so many things that feel so, so accurate about that experience to me. Like you had everybody bring their own snare drum that was like their snare drum from their childhood or something. Maybe there was a beat up drum um, and they kind of like refurbished it. So it was playable. And there was this nice, like kind of like care and love given to this instrument that then they were going to perform on. Um, and there were just the whole way it was presented was so, it was so touching to me but so specific it felt so like it felt so akron you know it felt like like you know there's no way to recreate that somewhere else it's like that that happened because of you know you know what that whole scene i didn't say go out and find a drum mm-hmm. they're the ones that say i want to use this drum my first drum well this yeah. th- larry hey, I, really i wonder how much of it has oh, cool. to do too like the the noble snare like Stuart smith's the noble snare like those i think it's four volumes or something like those were in in the ecosystem in your curriculum at Akron from yeah. day one. So like this idea of like the snare drum as a, as a focal point for an instrument, a solo instrument, you've yeah. taught that for a long time. So the idea that like the natural end sort of result of that would be like a 30 person version of Jason's snare drum. solo. like, to me, that is, you're right. That makes, that doesn't seem weird for an Akron studio <laughs> yeah. thing to do, given what I know about the history, <laughs> the, the percussion department's relationship to the snare yeah. drum. Yeah. Um, I, but you, I, go ahead, Josh. I, sorry, Josh. Yeah. I, there's just two things on my mind that I would, I would die if I didn't get to, to ask. Two different things. Two different things. But one, I mean, Josh kind of pivoted to it already. Who's just gonna, to, who's gonna win the Super Bowl? Probably, right? Exactly right. That's the third. That's okay, the third. All right, all right. The Cavs. Um, what? <coughs> okay, that's hard. Super Bowl, man. Super Bowl. The Cavs. Okay. <laughs> um, we just mentioned Stuart Saunders Smith. I mean, I think the the first time i actually had heard your name or knew much about akron was before i met josh was at yale when we first started putting together james wood music um and i think some of those instruments that were at yale you know i don't know i think it's probably many stories there but you know some maybe the microsills there were some connections to akron right and some of the specific um uh like microtonal omglocken like a lot of the stuff you know there was and i think we would always hear about the fact that i think you know, before Bob was ever in the States, you know, you had brought him over and there was some, some of that first music was premiered at Akron and just starting to hear Akron as a place where um, composers were doing new things. You mentioned Stuart Saunders Smith to, you know, like the idea that that was a studio where new things were happening. And that, that, I mean, that was the case like at Eastman, there was definitely those of us who wanted to be involved in the, the contemporary music thing. There was a lot of it happening and we would pair up with composer friends. Um, 
but it wasn't something that the the ensemble was necessarily doing so much of, you know. So what I don't know what comes to mind with with you with Akron on how I don't know either how was that a conscious decision to kind of start to make that happen, or maybe it's just because you went through the the Illinois program or that was such a, a focal point or. I, I, I think, well, got on uh, Illinois when I was there, you know how many composers I had on the staff? 20. 20 composers, are you kidding me? Because like faculty. Of, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Amazing. Stuart Saunders Smith every morning, literally every morning. Uh, search for knowledge, search passion. I'll tell you what he did. I'd come down, I'd Smith Music Hall. I'd go to my favorite practice room with my coffee and my mallets because I got a doctor recital coming up. I got some serious stuff, and I was always also taking German at the same time, which... Every time I got down there, every morning, Stuart was there waiting for me. Could you play this lick for me, man? I want to see what this sounds like. Stuart, please. At first couple of times, fine. You know, first couple of days. Sure, man. I, and I pedal through it and do it. And, oh, okay. All right. I said, Stuart, I, I, I have to do my own thing. Okay. He said, well, just a minute. Just a minute. Could you do this? Ah, that didn't work. Okay. So my, my thing with Stuart Smith was when he was a doctoral student in composition at Illinois the same time I was. Michael Udow was also there. At, uh, he was part of that percussion area but Stuart um, was was intrigued because he was hungry for knowing what he was doing that worked and didn't work he was exploring stuff and th- th- we become friends and I tried to figure out I used to go go home and, uh, and say to my wife Jesus I said I, I, I start practicing and all of a sudden I'm interrupted by this guy who has such a passion for this measure, this one measure. Mm. I didn't get any practicing done today, <laughs> you know? And, 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 and that, that's what drew me to Stuart. He's constantly trying to create more and do more. And that's what developed our camaraderie. He works very well with students. Some people like his music. Some people doesn't. has nothing to do with me. What his passion is is, is 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 the most important thing of search, and I'll call this search for perfection. And that's what he's able to do. And uh, that's why we did all the, you know, the, the, the whole link series at, at the University of Akron. I mean, all of them, all of them. You also, Larry, wow. Jason mentioned um, uh, James Wood. And that was something that like in terms of where my world overlaps with Yale and Bob is that is spirit festival with lamentations. I never played it, but you guys premiered it at the university of Akron, if I'm not mistaken. And Jason mentioned the guy who built all those microtonal instruments was Jack butcher. And it's just, it's interesting to me that like I went through all of my time at Yale or at at university of Akron had no idea that spirit festival was premiered there. I get to the university, I get to Yale and I see all these omglockens that say U of a on them. And I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, what are the statistical probabilities that I would land at this place and that this would, like, Larry, what's going on? And then Bob's just like, oh, we borrowed all these. And and then I talk to you and you're like, Bob stole all these. <laughs> and, like, yeah. you know, it's just yeah. – but, 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 but to me, again, just I want to highlight, like, you – can you talk about that premiere – and in particular, like you, you, you reach out, you all, you highlight and am- amplify your students' um, individual skill sets. Jack Butcher was an alum who happens to be a real tinkerer, somebody who just builds bass drum stands and random shit. And so, like building the, those microtonal instruments that helped James Wood make that piece come to life here in the United States was one of your students. Well, you know, we got just the, we, messing we around. Got those, we got those Almglockum from Michael Rantin, German. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's the one. That, and, and where was the connection there? He was an Illinois grad with, okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, Rosen talked about Michael Ranta a little bit too. Rosen was an an Illinois grad as well. Yes. Before you. Yes. Yes, he was. Uh, But, um, but yeah, Michael Ranta is the one that sold us, sold us that we, he had the right, the whole right flavor and was totally into that. He's, he's a very, very interesting 
person who I've kept in touch with a little bit mm-hmm. in terms of friendship and stuff. So he's, yeah, and then comes the Jack Butcher. And I, I wonder if uh, Bob Van Sice is ever going to give me a couple of those Almglocken back that I loaned. Well, Eric and I are talking to him tomorrow, so I'll ask him. Um, <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be the best way. I'll start the podcast that way. I think yeah. it's going to be great. Don't do that. Don't well, do that. Well, Larry, can you can you talk about the premiere of Spirit Festival? Just like I remember there was being there was a like, again, like you early on um, in you know, well, commissioning we, and premiering a new work. Like there's a roll of the dice there. And I, I just want to ask you what your experience was with a piece like that being so hard. And I, was having, the only, I was the only guy that was, uh, that was interested in, in buying all those on and getting mm-hmm. them tuned. So I, hell, I was the last resort and nobody else was going to do it in this country. They're going hell with that stuff. I was the only one that says, yeah, we're going to do it. In fact, I don't know whether you know this or not, but, uh, but uh, Bob took, my students, where was it? Netherlands to play that piece? Probably. I've got on my wall a picture. Rotterdam? Was it Rotterdam? Rotterdam. That was it. Yeah. He took three of my students to play that piece in Rotterdam. My students. Why? Well, I'm the one that I, – I got all the toys, man. I'm, I'm taking the ball and bat and going home. And if I decide I'm going to take the ball and bat and go home – then you can sit and I'll, I'll, I'll Larry, some first of all, you got to give your stop, 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 stop. You got to give yourself a little bit of credit here. You're claiming like you're like the bad drummer in the band, but you're the guy that owns the amps. Like that's not, <laughs> that's, that's not completely true, Larry, but it is true. Like, you know, you did have some cards to play in the, in the, in the sort of negotiations I had some here. cards to play and he trusted me. And, um, again, I have to say, see these, these are mine. <laughs> Go get somebody else. Go go call Michael Rant to say how fast you can get in another set of microtonal. <laughs> and some of those some of those things are this yeah, big, they're tiny, yeah. and others are this big. You know. Yeah. Well, so I, I also just have to I, we have to get some kind of Josh Clone stories oh, happening before before I go. I mean, I'm sure I know you, Larry, and I, I know that there are plenty of wonderful things we could say about Josh, which I you know. Oh, oh good. <laughs> see you, JQ. I'm here. I just you just can't see me. <laughs> well, you know, I think you know. Well, it, it was, a very yeah, very interesting story. This is my screensaver. <laughs> oh, good. Wow, look at you. Look at it's that. It's matched grip, Larry. Look. <laughs> Technically matched grip. <laughs> okay, I'm going to tell you a story. If you promise not to tell his wife, I can promise. Okay, go ahead. Shoot, I think I know what it is, but go for it. Um, what's the name of the piece? Uh, some marimba piece. Uh, uh, God, conversations. Right. Josh? Huh? Josh can't play marimba. Yeah, can't you play must it. be thinking about somebody. <laughs> you You've got to be thinking about somebody. <laughs> it was like several, several uh, Con- conversations. Conversations. Yoshi. Conversations. I like that one. Okay. Oh, it's a great piece, and I, I use it uh, all the time. But I also use it because of my friendship with uh, uh, Michael Spiro. I, I, this was an influence when I got Michael was become one of my close friends and uh, Josh comes in, he plays the first, the first movement. And I said, uh, so what's happening in this, during this conversation? And he looked at me very funny. What do you mean? What's happening? Did I miss notes? You know what? I mean, what's happening? I said, no, if, if you had a film, and you were playing background music for a film, and it was all the marimba. I said, what would be going on? He looked at me like, I want out of the University of Akron because the people are crazy. (laughs) I said, okay, enough of this. What I want you to do is I want you to come in next week with a story of what's happening for each one of these. I'm sure he was thinking, what the hell does this have to do with my role on marimba or or what? So next week, the next week he comes in and he had about this much a story about each one of these. I said, okay, this is for all this, all of them, huh? He says, he says, yeah. I said, well, what's all the story about? You're scared now, aren't you, man? You're you're really <laughs> nervous. Because he says, I just broke up with my girlfriend. And this is a story about oh. me and my girlfriend breaking up. And so, I'm gonna 
and we're going to converse with each other. Nobody asked Japanese you, man. Marimba music. Nobody asked you, man. <laughs> Nobody's talking to you. Sorry. Nobody's talking to you. I'm going to tell you honestly, it was fabulous. It was fabulous. I know more about him and his ex-girlfriend than, than his <laughs> wife does. I was a raw, I was a weak man, Larry, a weak man. Well, I have, I have a the, funny. This is the hockey player? Which ex-girlfriend are we talking about? It was the hockey player. Okay. Yeah. All right, good, good, yeah. good. I had just transferred to Akron and was like, that was my first experience with a long distance relationship. Um, I had just voted in my first presidential election. Like there was a whole lot of the world was a crazy, it was hanging chads everywhere. It was a, it was a wild time. Um, <laughs> I have one story, Larry, that Stephanie will not let me off the hook of, uh, uh, with. And then I, then walking we'll in of, the hall. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a, there's just a weird thing about the university of Akron that you, there was a clear dividing line at the end of the hallway where, um, significant others there wasn't a, it wasn't like it was written on the wall but like significant others just had to stop or they maybe they for safety stake they just stopped at that door <laughs> and waited to be let in because it was sort of the wild west inside the the hallway um Cindy your wife now um was one and she was like higher up at the university at the time she would stop at that door and not come in the hallway um, she, she, she still won't. She still, she still won't. And Stephanie still won't to this day. But I, I, one of the things that you know, you are, had us out gigging, and I love that idea so much. Like I love the feeling of being out playing gigs. And me and Jeff Knightsky were always out at Cof- Angel Angel Falls Coffee Shop playing for tips. And like I'd get done with my my flute methods cl- class, and I'd run over to Angel Falls with Jeff. And I. Um, was playing the game. We played for six hours and I came back and I was just like, yeah, we made $32 and I got a cheeseburger, you know, and I walked down the hallway and Jason Little walks up to me and Jason now is like full on playing cruise ships and like all over the world doing things. And he walks up and he goes, Hey dude, you really messed up. And I was like, what, what? And he's like, that girl that you just started dating, Stephanie said, she came down here looking for you. Cause evidently you guys had a date and she looked amazing. <laughs> <laughs> And I, and this is pre cell phone. It's not like she could have texted me. I didn't know. I stood my wife up to play for $32 outside of a coffee shop. <laughs> and, and she still to this day, like, we'll have like a knockdown drag out fight and she'll still be like, uh, have fun at your Angel Falls gig. And then she'll slam the door, you know, <laughs> like, like it's, so, it's something I'm never going to live down, Larry. So um, I appreciate that about my time. Uh, you you all at once sort of hooked me up with my wife and then also gave her this, this, this wedge to, poke me with forever so <laughs> <laughs> love that um well larry i'm of course we're not going to be we can't touch on literally everything that you've impacted um in the, in the percussion world but i think this sort of hour-long primer here will give folks a little bit of a context especially behind my the way i see the world and the way i play the steel band stuff in my life and now by sort of proxy jason has had um an extension of my studies and has gotten to go down to Trinidad. And so uh, just from the bottom of my heart, thank you for, you know, whether or not it was a conscious choice on your, I've asked you if it was a conscious choice several times now, whether or not it was, um, I'm grateful for it. So thank you for, for everything you've done at the university of Akron for accept, you know, for hiring my friends to come in and play and, and do things and for uh, just being a mentor for me and our students. So um, do you have any final words? Is there like uh, the steel band just revamped their website? I hear, is there any place like where can folks go to learn more about the percussion program and in particular, the steel band program at Akron? Well, we have a web, we have a, a university of Akron website or percussion. Okay. So we got that and it, uh, you're on it actually. Uh, uh, have you, have you seen it? You are you, you talking to me? Guys, uh, Chris, what's the guy's name? Han Han Hanning, president of Percussive Arts Society. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Um. no. So I, I, <laughs> I listed a bunch of people, but I also have five people on there to look. Um, we're I'm developing a brand new uh, uh, website, not not from the university, but from the Steel Band. That's going that's costing me a bunch of money uh, that the university doesn't know about yet. Anyway, so that's another thing. Um, but uh, but if you want, if, if students want to just know what we're about, University of Akron uh, School of Music website uh, and percussion, and uh, it features a bunch of names of of, of the hundred and not all hundred and sixty two uh, people. But it features uh, administrators, believe it or not, university administrators like Chris Hanning and does NFL sports. We got all that on 
online that you can look at and music teachers and music therapists that are graduated. And uh, Josh is a Josh is in there, too. So, you know, tell them to take a look at it. We're not all about uh, marching band. Um, and and is, is it UA percussion or UA steel Is that the website for yeah, the steel band? Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Well, Jason, thanks for your time, buddy. I appreciate you joining. Yeah. Here. You asked yeah, some questions that I never you. would have thought to ask. So thank you. Well, Doc, I, I uh, um, somehow I think my honorary cowbell, I think it just got lost in the mail. I don't know if I gave you the wrong zip code. <sighs> it hasn't made it to my you place gave yet. It so. it, yeah. You gave me the wrong address. Man. Yeah, it could be, could be. I'm looking for an honorary cowbell someday. Uh, you know, I want to be part of the clan. Someday I'm part of the cowbell clan. Tell you what I'm going to do. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Come back, visit us this year, man. I'm serious. Absolutely. And I promise you that I will give you a cowbell. Now it'll be broken up and stuff, but it will have the whole thing. <laughs> that, that feels like that. That's can right it, for me. Can it? Something can it, about that. Instead right of a cowbell, me. can it be a microtonal on glocken that has Yale University <laughs> written on it? It's like it'll, this, it'll this have, big. Yeah, it'll have beer spelled on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, amazing, Larry. Thank, thank you again for everything. Tell us, and you said you, hello. This was really fun for me. Really yeah. fun. Nice to see you. Well, likewise. Take care, and we'll we'll Jason, talk to you, Doc. You can come see us this, this year. I'm we'll there. Talk. I'm we'll already talk. there. We'll talk. All right. All right. See everybody. Thank you. Don't bring him. Don't bring the fool. I'm going solo. Okay. Yeah. solo. I'm ending it now. Love you all. My best <laughs> Thanks, Thank you. See you later. Bye, dog. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. This podcast is brought to you by Liquid Drum, uh, liquiddrum.com, down in Waco, Texas, run by my good friend Todd Meehan, former member of So Percussion, one of the founding members. Check it out, liquiddrum.com. Uh, and also Dunleavy Steel Pans. Um, uh, Kyle builds all the drums I teach on and play on. Uh, dunleavypans.com d-u-n-l-e-v excuse me d-u-n-l-e-a-v-y pans.com all right take care talk to you soon bye